Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my guest co-host, Firebird. First time guest co-host. How's it going, Firebird? How are you, Ryan? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm ready to talk about many video games, some interesting news, and uh, possibly Game Club rising from its nap, you know, that it took. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Exactly. We we gave it some, uh, some what is it, phoenix down? Is that the Final <laughs> Fantasy thing? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, or a one-up mushroom, depending on which RPG you're playing uh, this week. But um, yeah, we, uh, w- you know, we'll, we will summarize the rumblings that are currently occurring in the Discord. But uh, before we go over that, I did want to start with our guest because my last guest co-host gave me a little trouble last week when I went first. And I mean, like, I hate to say, you know, so-and-so was right, but um, he's he wasn't right. He was not right. But this week... Well, it's Crofton. It, well, yeah, I wasn't going to say... If we say his name too many times, like, he starts a beef. So if we, like say it three times does it summon him like you know bloody mary in the mirror i think he just starts recording things and then he sends them in and we feel obligated to play them i think that's kind of what happened on core <laughs> <laughs> i uh I, it's funny I, I had messaged scott and i just said i i am so sorry for uh you know kind of encouraging and teaching crofton how to record audio and send <laughs> it in i swear i only did it so that he could record some some uh, spots for Dungeons and Diapers with his daughter. Um, yeah, I've 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 taught him evil. He's he's evil now. So this is your him. fault, is what I'm hearing. I mean, partially. I, and I <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I could probably take on more of the blame because I I guess I technically was clipping out the stuff on Core and playing it for Crofton so that he could um, uh, respond to. Uh, so on Core core podcast that scott johnson does uh just for the listeners i mean i think most people know this but Bo on the show is is real life friends uh you know grew up together my understanding with with crofton and and Bo will often tell stories about crofton and crofton's not there to uh sort of tell his side of the story so that's what we do on dungeons and and diapers folks should check that out tgistudios.com slash dad and uh and yeah it's it started a whole thing it's it's bled into the frog pants discord um so but it's all in good fun my understanding is is that it is all in good fun um but yeah we can't say his name one more time or else he will he will pop up here so um we'll do our darndest yeah we'll be careful um but yeah i'm curious so there's a series that you've been playing uh disgaea 7 the latest sort of entry in this one i have i believe i've tried it once through a demo or some sort of Game Pass or PlayStation Plus thing. I can't remember what it was. It might have been a time demo on the on the Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch. I can't remember, but um, I'm curious about your thoughts on this one. Okay, well, uh, Disgaea is a strategy RPG series. You know, three-quarter down, isometric view, kind of like Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, but instead of being, you know, super serious, political, like many of them are, it is very funny. <laughs> So they're they're very non-serious, but they have the story ends up having a lot of heart. Uh, like many games, they don't tie into each other, so there's no need to go back to the start 
if if you don't want to. Though they there are many complicated uh, systems that get added into later games. So for if somebody was interested, the first game is less complicated. Uh, as far as combat goes, it's pretty standard for turn-based combat for a strategy RPG. But there are two really key differences that add a lot of interest to the system. First, you can pick up and throw throw things. Your allies, enemies, that <laughs> uh, which allows you to do things like get a particular character closer to an objective or get somebody out of danger. You know, different things like that. And then there are also these things called geoblocks, colored squares on the ground, and accompanying them are geoprisms, which will be different colored little pyramids that when they are on the blocks will give a particular uh, attribute to each of the blocks. So it'll be like plus 50% attack. And anybody that's standing on one of those blocks of that color will then get 50% attack. So there can be real uh, puzzles with trying to, to deal with these, especially because you can change the colors. If you attack a geoprism, you can change the color of the block to the same as the geoprism as you destroy the geoprism. And it also does damage to anybody that's standing on the block if the, when the block changes color. There are also clear blocks that will remove the colors. And if you manage to remove all of the geo blocks through one of these clear ones, an explosion occurs and does damage to all the enemies. Interesting. So they kind of they kind of build the environment into the combat. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So there's a lot of interest there, and so that's a lot of fun. Uh, with this, the seventh one. Uh, the sixth one did not do well. It had a lot of problems. Uh, Nippon Itchy Software was experiencing some serious financial problems, and it was rushed. So ironically, uh, the seventh one, even though it's later and has you know is a little more advanced, actually runs significantly better and is a much better game. And pe- the fans are much happier with this one. Everything occurs in the netherworld, which is, you know, and that most of the characters tend to be demons because of this. So they tend to be, that's where a lot of the humor comes from. So Fuji is a, is a demon samurai, and he is allergic to empathy. When <laughs> em- empathy or niceness starts occurring, or if he's asked to say anything nice, he starts throwing up blood and choking. Oh, and uh, that is allergic. That's like, really yes, allergic. he is okay. very allergic. I shouldn't laugh. That's a serious condition. <laughs> I do know a few people who are allergic to empathy, but uh, they don't vomit blood. That's for sure. Yes, he is very allergic to empathy. And his counterpart is Perilico, and she is a super positive, happy-go-lucky girl, who cat girl, who is both very nice and empathetic, unusually so for one of the demons in these games. And she also mangles common sayings constantly. It's really funny. Like, in combat, she'll say, Behold, my coat of armchairs! (laughs) Or, Your fate is peeled! Just funny stuff like that. That's pretty good. Like... Yeah. I, I, you know, there's, there's... Obviously, you have the you know opposite pairing there that leads to probably some comedic yes, you yes, know, exactly. aspects. But 
I love a good messed up, uh, you know, um, saying, because honestly, like, who hasn't been guilty of, you know, getting one of those wrong? But, uh, but yeah, like, behold my coat of armchairs. That sounds pretty good. Yes. Yes. Um, now, is that like, just from like a, like a state of like, these demons not being around the normal world very often. So she just has picked up on some of this stuff and decides to use it very incorrectly or. It seems to just be her. Cause everybody okay. else is around her, corrects her all the time. They're uh, like, no, you mean this other thing. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them were so mangled. I couldn't even figure out what she was getting at until she got corrected. <laughs> she oh. mangles them badly. That's another part, another fun part of the game. Yes, yes. It's uh, like, I, I don't want to interrupt the story, but like, it's interesting you mentioned like in the combat, you can kind of throw enemies around. And it reminds me a lot of like the mobility that we saw in um, Mario plus rabbits, where you could mm-hmm. kind of have characters jump off of each other and, and throw them around and, and stuff to, to kind of like help with uh, traversal. So like that, that sounds really cool. And honestly would, um, would, would play really well in the story too. Like having, so with this story, you have your two main characters. Like, do you have a party? Does it build up over time? Like, are you recruiting friends? Uh, there are additional main characters that join throughout the story as you, as you continue. And then you can also create uh, generics that are of various classes. You can make, however, you know, it, I guess not however many you want, but it's a very large limit it's basically however many you want but of course doing that too much too early can make it difficult to continue just because everything will be under leveled uh the story goes with this one that it's taking place in um a an edo like japan netherworld because there's bunches of different infinite netherworlds with different themes and different topics and all that kind of thing and this is like edo era japan Hence why Fuji is a samurai. Right. And so they are trying to gather the found the seven founding weapons so that, I mean, the reasoning is unclear at the start. It becomes clear as you go along. And so there's a lot of, you know, the, the music is in this one is themed very Japanese sounding and the, the, the artwork is done even more so than usual because it's a Japanese game, of course. So there's it's always got the anime look, but yeah. the the setting has more of a feudal Japan kind of look to it. Cool. Now, that sounds really neat because again, like I think um, there was another franchise, the um, the Yakuza franchise, that kind of had a game that went back to feudal Japan, and, and uh, maybe it was last year, I think, and. It was really, I think it was really well received and looked really cool. And I, I like the idea of kind of exploring different, you know, uh, times in history, you know, and, and the culture that goes alongside that. So, like, it's really interesting that this one's kind of set. So you say they're all kind of disconnected. So this one, is it technically taking place in the past or is it just the setting is kind of like borrowing from that part of the timeline? I think think the setting is just in the past okay it's just that the setting happens to be similar to Edo japan and in oh, fact okay. um you know the big bad is uh called demidor or something or other it's clearly a reference to commodore perry you know there's stuff like that so there's there's definitely some allusions to actual history but 
as far as the game goes. There's all it's also, you know, they talk about modern stuff. It's it's anachronistic. It's not like it's taking place back in time. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and like it's funny, you look at uh so I'm kind of just perusing the Disgaea. So Disgaea seven, like the artwork is just like filled with char- like the, the the um the box art is just filled with characters. Like is that sort mm. of like a reference to how many characters there are in this game? Like six has a more reasonable maybe fifteen, whereas I think seven has maybe twenty or thirty on the on the front. Yeah, cover that there. was actually one of the complaints about six was because they actually removed a lot of the generics and a lot of where, you know, most of the time there will be like say a male priest and a female priest or a male martial artist and a female martial artist. In six they would make it so there was only like a female priest or a male martial artist. And people were very upset about that actually. Oh. Okay. So a lot of them are, you know, um, there are repeats as in they're the same classes just in the male and female version. But uh, there's a lot of different generic classes you can do. Interesting. Now, in terms of the story overall, like how, how far are you in the game? Have you have you finished it? Like, I, I have no context as to when it came out, so I'm not sure. Like, um it- it came out on October 7th. I have finished the main part of the game. I'm working on post-game stuff. Uh, one of the things about Disgaea is there is the poten- there is a little bit of grinding necessary to finish, but and there's a potential for much grinding afterwards. It's one of those games that, you know, on the hypothetical getting stuck on a desert island, actually a Disgaea game would be a good choice because there is nearly infinite stuff you can do in it. The level cap is 9,999, and you can reincarnate. Okay. Yeah. It, it sounds crazy. It's not quite as bad as it sounds because there are a number of mechanics in which you can use to increase experience and and level very quickly, especially once you get further into the game. You could prestige, like in Call of Duty. Like, I haven't played Call of Duty in decades, but one of the things I remember is that if you hit level cap you could like restart basically is that kind of what you mean by reincarnate yes yes that's you can restart and then you get you know additional stats on the character and so the next time as it goes through it's stronger you also have what's called the item world where you can go into an item that's in your inventory and you can level it up by going through this uh randomly generated dungeon inside oh wow so there's an item world that you can like it's all randomized so basically Mm -hmm. You, if you're just looking to level up some characters, that's a good way to just jump in, right? It is interesting. Though, I'll, I mean, like, that's important. You know, you need the randomized item dungeon if you want to have like a, like the ability to level up your characters without having to, I don't know, go back into the previous parts of the world. Like, does the item dungeon scale like to your current level, or do you have to set it at specific difficulties? Uh, what it does in this one, at least, it's it's variable depending on the game. Is that love? Uh, there, the items have different levels, of course, and then lower level items start have the enemies inside start at a lower level, and then they get higher as you go through the thirty levels of the item world. And then a higher an item that starts at a higher level, you know, one that you got later in the game. Of course, the enemies start at a higher level there and scale up from there. However, they also have what's called the cheat shop. And you can then adjust things like 
difficulty and the levels of monsters, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of a lot of customization you can do there. You can adjust how much uh, skill points you get. You can adjust how much experience you get. You do have to balance by taking away from other things, but you can do that to increase your ability to level faster or earn money faster or you know various things like that. Interesting. So. Like I guess the question that comes to mind because I haven't played uh, I haven't played the series at least I mean my brain seems to think I have played it, tried it but the question I always have when it comes to any RPG or any game really is um, you know is it the story that brings people you know to the franchise uh, or and I mean the, the dialogue sounds hilarious like it sounds like it's got a good sort of back and forth but is it the overall story is it a combination of the gameplay like the the gameplay like sounds also very dynamic with the with the, the the geo blocks and stuff like what is it that brings people back to the franchise like this is obviously the seventh in the series like it's released every you know few years um what do you think brings people back to this one for the people who are really really into the series they like the gameplay uh there are all kinds of hidden bosses that you have to be super high level and all kinds of things that I have never done ever in any of the games. But there are people that are all, I mean, there are people who have done this, are completely done with all of this already and are doing online battles, which is a, is a thing that's in with this one and all kinds of stuff like that. So there are a lot of people really love the gameplay and love how deep it is and complex, the, the many systems. There's a lot to do and that can keep you entertained for a long time. Personally, for me, it is the humor and the story. I was hooked when in the very first game, very early on, you encounter a character, a, a enemy character who starts monologuing and telling you about how he's the dark Adonis and all this kind of stuff going on and on. And the main character of that game says, you're nothing. You're just a mid boss. And the, <laughs> the text box with the character, the enemy's name changes to mid boss. And then whenever he shows up the whole rest of the game, he's called mid boss. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That is see that's uh that's like some meta humor there where you can, Yes, there's yeah. a lot of that in I in love these. that. So I guess like it, obviously a franchise has been around for a long time and I know you mentioned at the top of the show like you you can really jump in um to 7 right away, avoid 6 it sounds like. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to start from the beginning, you know, like would you encourage people to like at least check out the PlayStation 2 edition with this guy of yeah, Hour of Darkness I'm seeing here. Like, or, or is it best to just like jump right to seven or, or maybe check out five, which might be more recent? Like, what is your recommendation there? Um, I actually would probably say start with one. One is very available. It has been re-released a number of times. It is currently available on Switch, PlayStation, PC, even iOS. I don't oh. know if it's on Android. Um, and it has been updated slightly uh not tons there's still some some rough edges to it that have been removed in later games and that's why some people actually suggest starting with one so then you don't get used to conveniences that are then gone like for example the cheat shop isn't present in one except on the ios version for some reason huh. and uh but it's uh, many people consider the story of that one the best i 
four is my favorite, frankly, but one is very good. And it's just where it doesn't have quite so many systems, it can be less overwhelming for people. Uh, yeah, though, that makes sense. I think it can be, it's one of the toughest parts. I, I know, um, I mean, Xenoblade Chronicles is a bad example because all three of those games have immense systems <laughs> right off the bat. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I'm looking at this. So yeah, you have Disgaea, uh, one complete and just recently in 2018, uh, switch PS4, as you said, PC, um, and then yeah, iOS and Android port was uh, released in 2020. So that's, that is really cool that they support the franchise in a way that like they're bringing forward, uh, these, uh, these, these previous, previously released titles. Cause honestly, sometimes that's, that's not necessarily the case for all franchises. Usually you either have to get it through a subscription service or, um, you know, emulation, that sort of thing, or just hope the steam version still runs. Yeah, they've done well with one, not so much with, with some of the others. Two is available on PC and, and PS2. So PC makes it, you know, pretty pretty accessible. Three, unfortunately, is stuck on the PS3 and the Vita. Uh, and there is also one called Disgaea D2 that's a direct sequel to one. Most of these are not connected. This one is a direct sequel. That one is on PS3, but it is on PS++ to, uh, plus as well. So that one has more accessibility now. Oh, cool. So they did do... So I also like the idea... Like, you have these franchises. Like, I mean, Fire Emblem is a similar thing where, like, each one is kind of its own... Either, depending on how which Nintendo rep you ask, like, it's either its own universe or it's, like, a continent far, far away. You know, and some of them are connected, but like to have a direct sequel is is very rare. Um, and this franchise sounds like kind of similar in in the sense that like what you have one direct sequel across like yes. the the whole franchise. That's uh, that's really cool. I like that idea. I like the idea of you know picking one or two games in the franchise and like let's do a let's do a direct sequel. Let's follow up on these characters. See who's See how everything's shaking and uh Yes, and since they were so popular, you know, I think they wanted to do it with that one because of that. I'm seeing a lot of this penguin character. Yes. That is called a prinny. It is a human soul that has, you know, passed on and they are preparing they are either paying for their sins or otherwise preparing for rebirth. And they are put in a penguin suit, a little demonic penguin suit. And one of the fun things with those is that when you throw them on the battlefield, they explode. Right. As penguins are. Yes. Penguins are well known for exploding. And they always say, dude, but it's spelled (laughs) (laughs) D-O-O-D. Oh, man. I mean, it sounds like a a franchise that has a lot of fun, you know, um, alongside. I'm, I'm sure there are serious moments as well, given, you know, the like is the so. In Disguise Seven, is the general story like you know your 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 demons? Your like, what's the goal? Like, is the goal to are you fighting other demons? Like, saving the world? Like, uh, you're fighting against the Shogunate, which has become corrupt and is no longer fighting following the uh, principles of Bushido, which uh, the Perilica is very obsessed with. She is she is a Bushido and and um otaku they even call her that all the time (laughs) she's way into how things are supposed to be here in this 
uh, Hinamoto, I think is what it's called, Netherworld. Okay. So she wants to reestablish these principles and is gathering the seven founding weapons as part of her, her goal there to try to convince people. In fact, they, they, one of the characters that ends up on your team fairly, fairly soon, so I hope people don't consider this a spoiler, is the shogun, uh, who is the current shogun. They basically kidnap him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it uh, I mean, it's, is it a spoiler, like, or is it something that just drives the story forward, I think? It's, uh, yeah, uh, so... Cool. Um, so you're playing. You're playing on Switch, but it's also available on PlayStation and PC. Do, do do you feel like the Switch version? So sometimes when you say like, "Oh, it's on," I'm assuming PS. Is it PS5 or is it PS4? I think it's both. Okay, so it's across sort of generation. Like, like does the Switch yeah. version run well? Like, I know sometimes the Switch version can kind of lag behind, or did they balance it right? You know, I'm not one to notice bad frame rates unless they're like scarlet and violet level of bad i haven't noticed anything like that some of the the load screens are a little longer than i would like but otherwise that's the only problem i've noticed okay yeah i mean loading screens you're playing on switch i I think it's something to uh it's just kind of comes with the territory a hundred percent well that's really interesting i'll uh Look, I I I legally can't say I might check this out because we have some Trails fans in the Discord that will hold me accountable. <laughs> um, so, uh, but it sounds really interesting. I will uh, keep an eye on it. And uh, but yeah, the the just the writing. I mean, um, there's a game we're going to talk about in a bit. That, like it kind of reminds me. The writing kind of reminds me of that. And I think like more of that, please. That sounds really yeah, good. They're very very funny and i really like that and for people who may be interested but aren't sure there is a demo available for seven i believe there might be for five and six as well but there's definitely is for seven interesting okay well i don't think uh i don't have the paperwork in front of me but i'm pretty sure demos are okay so um, (laughs) i might have to i might have to do that um you have another game here that i'm curious about because i've played i've played it before uh, I played a version of it, of course, not this one, but uh, Picross E9, which is a, a Picross games on the DS have kind of been a, a mainstay um, across both the DS and 3DS. And I think I've played like Mario Picross before, like there was an official Mario one. But what mm-hmm. makes this one special? I mean, for me, it's just that I haven't played this one. <laughs> OK, it's just with with Picross or Picross. I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. It's just a fun puzzle type game that lets me exercise my mind in a different way. And it's just a nice thing to do while listening to a show or a podcast or, you know, various things like that and exercise my brain at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's been so long since I've played a a Picross game. So, and I call it Picross. I don't know how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I don't know either. (laughs) I don't know. I mean... I am. Uh, oh, there was a Picross uh, Pokemon game. I'm just. Yeah, I just there, that was actually the one that got me into them. I'd never even heard of them before, and they have continued on the Switch as well. There's a bunch of them there, and I believe I saw an announcement that they're actually going to be porting the 3DS ones to the Switch as well now. Interesting. So, what is the general gameplay here? So, it's a puzzle game, but you are are you solving like is it math problems? I'm trying to remember it's now. Kind of a it's kind of a math problem. You're wanting to uncover a picture, 
Mm-hmm. And so there will be a grid that's five by five or 10 by 10 or so on. And there will be numbers that indicate how many squares are filled in each row or column. And so you have to figure out where they're supposed to be based off of off of the numbers that are surrounding it. Uh, there's a little bit of a the same kind of thing that you're looking at with Sudoku, where you're looking to try to fill in based off of the the information that you have. And then by doing so, you uncover a picture. Right. And um, I think like that I played the Mario Picross who you were, you were uncovering Mario uh, related characters and scenery and stuff. So what is what are you uncovering in this Picross E9? Because this is a so this is a fan translated game never released in the US and you're playing it on uh, on the 3DS. So like what is what are the uh, pictures you're you're unlocking here? The standard ones, the the various E ones on the 3DS or the S ones on the Switch, they it's just random, completely random. Sometimes for a little while when you're going through the bunches of puzzles, there will be a theme for a little while, like you might uncover three or four food items in a row or something like that, but there's nothing set. It's not like with the Mario or the or the there was a Zelda one through the old program before the current one or maybe it was this one i don't remember but there was a zelda one available through one of the the reward programs through nintendo there was you know there have been several others there's a on the switch there's one for hello kitty and the sanrio characters or no excuse me that one's on the 3ds but there's a sega one set on the switch that has you know like sonic and various other sega characters Mm-hmm. But it's more about like it's the journey, not the destination. Mm-hmm. Like. It is. I don't even care what the picture is, <laughs> other than just uh, oh well, that's cool. That's what it was. But it's just the the process that's fun for me. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, it's been a while since I. But you're right. I see them all the time. They're all over the Nintendo eShop, and um, they're very uh, they're very popular. Uh, and I know, like, is there a specific like? Is this just Picross, like it's the franchise of Picross, or they're just like a bunch of different ones. It's not all made by the same company, right? Like it's a generic puzzle. The ones game. that are called Picross are made by the same company, Jupiter. Um, there are other games that have some similar gameplay, but aren't quite exactly the same thing. Like there's Pika Pick, and there's some others that are similar, but that are clearly trying to appeal to the same audience. Cool. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, honestly, a puzzle game sounds like just a puzzle game to, you know, ha- just allow your brain to to sort of work through the puzzle. That sounds like a really good break from, you know, I'm always looking for games to to sort of take a break, you know, from Yeah. Yes. Yeah, from from uh just, you know, having to read and you know, uh, sort out combat and determine like, okay, how am I going to defeat this enemy when it keeps doing this X, Y, Z type stuff. So to just be able to focus on the puzzle, um, would be really good. So uh, I'll have to, uh, maybe I'll go download the Sonic one and I'll just see all the cool Sonic images. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really cool. Um, well, let's get into, uh, another big game, uh, here. And I, I think we've done a really interesting thing here. And, and when I say we, I mean, um, Firebirds kind of played alongside, uh, me with, uh, Super Mario RPG. Uh, I played the remake 
and uh, you played the uh, Wii U Virtual Console uh, version of the game, and um, I played a little bit of the of the original just uh, on my Ambernick just to kind of get a feel for it, uh, a, a reminder of the the I guess the good old days uh, before we recorded, but. Um, I'll start with you. How how was your time? Because you you played the whole thing. Like I thought, you just dove in to test it out, but you played the whole thing. Did the whole thing. It had been a really long time, like probably t- over twenty years. So I honestly didn't remember a whole lot of the game. I'd completely forgotten about the timing and the combat. In fact, until Sea of Stars came out, and people were like, "Oh yeah, it's got combat like Super Mario RPG." I went, "Oh, I forgot that was even a thing in that." <laughs> So I wanted to be refreshed. I, you know, I had actually gotten it on the Wii U ages ago and just never gotten to it. So it was with the remake coming out, it seemed like a good opportunity to go into it. I thought I'm really happy for people who've been wanting this game and wanting access to it that they have this remake, but I already have it. I'll just play what I have. (laughs) That was not a good choice. (laughs) Was that the actual voice you made when you started playing it? You were like, oh. Yes, that is a complete reenactment. <laughs> okay, I can picture it. I can hear it. I'm glad you brought us all there uh, to understand your motivations. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is obviously, you know, for folks at home, it's a Super NES game. came out uh, in 96, tail end of the, of the platform. Actually, I had to look it up because it came out, at least in North America, it came out in May and then the N64 and Super Mario 64, I believe, was in September. So just like three months before the big jump to uh, to three, well, the first 3D Nintendo games. And um, but again, like it's a game that I loved as a kid. I remember uh, I've told this story countless times, but like I remember saving up my allowance as a kid and putting it in this Teddy jar which my parents gave to me it's actually up here it's it's on top of my shelf and it's this like teddy bear glass jar and i had it filled with toonies and loonies i remember taking it downstairs and showing my mom the flyer for toys r us and i'm like okay i want to go buy it um and she just she laughed because of course i was taking the glass teddy bear to the store and she's like no, no we'll just we'll roll it that and figure is it adorable out. yeah i was uh i would have been i would have been i guess nine at the time or something and uh I just remember her being like, no, don't worry, but we'll, so we rolled the, the coins. I think we ended up putting it into the bank and, 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 uh, we ended up going to buy it. And, the uh, people yeah. at Toys R Us much preferred that. I can tell you my yeah. stepdad used to always save all of his change that he got from anything. He had a big old jar, like a giant plastic Coke bottle that was probably two and a half feet tall that he would fill with his change. <laughs> and then he would, take it to buy things and one time he went to go buy a couch with his change and they oh, wouldn't no. take it <laughs> because so the even though it was rolled and stuff but they oh, would well. not take all that change so the people at toys r us much preferred that you guys put it in the bank first <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i get like when you roll your coins it does like to his to a certain degree, you can tell how much you have there based on, I think, the rolls. I don't know if the rolls are like an exact science. Like, I think you can maybe put a little they bit more. They are the United States, but oh, I don't are. know how it works for you guys. Um, I, I think it's just paper. And, you know, you might be able to fit an extra loony or a nickel in there. I actually don't know. It's been so long since I've done it. Um, But uh, I know people still do it. You have those, like, change machines in grocery mm-hmm. stores that will, like 
take a little bit off the top to roll your coin for you. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't do that. I think. Uh, I think my parents were like more just like we're not letting him go in with this. <laughs> just a bunch of coin, like just how embarrassing. Um, but I just remember, like you know, it was very rare at that time for us to go buy a game outside of like the birthday or Christmas mm-hmm. time frame. Um, cause I remember it being expensive. I remember it being like $90. Oh like, yeah. Well, Super Nintendo RPGs were very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, that was new to me too, because again, like I remember, I don't remember buying a lot of video games. I remember getting them for Christmas and birthday, but this was, this is the one where I like, I have vivid memories of like having the Toys R Us flyer you know, circling it, showing my mom, being like, okay, I've saved all this money. Let's go. It's Super Mario. It's RPG. And it was my first RPG ever that I've ever, ever played, ever finished. Uh, love it. Love it, love it, love it. So, um, you know, it, talking about the original and playing the original and and even before the the remake came out, I I still I still hum the music. I still remember the combat. Although maybe not as well because I did stream the remake my first four hours or so and I'm like constantly jumping on enemies and wondering why I'm not doing initial damage, which I thought was a thing. Uh but turns out is is a is is from Paper Mario onwards to be able to do like that little bit of bonus damage uh in combat mm-hmm. before you enter it. Well, and where you just played Sea of Stars recently as well. That also corrupted yeah. you that way. Yeah, so I was uh struggling with that for a bit until chat sort of corrected me like no no it's just you're just initiating combat it doesn't matter no one gets an unfair advantage although i know in games after that like if the enemy hits you or the enemy caught you by surprise they would do uh damage to you but um so you so you you played the remake on wii u you you made it all the way through uh you've refreshed your memory for the original and and you're saying basically like so where are you at? Like, are you like looking at the remake as something you possibly pick up down the road? Like, are, have you kind of satisfied your interest in the game? Like right for now, but if I ever feel the urge again, I will definitely get the remake. I will not be replaying on the Wii U. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, the remake is uh, like, I don't know what I expected in the sense of like how they were going to remake it. Like it's so hard to tell with Nintendo these days because they mm-hmm. they do a trailer, then they do an overview, and then they release the game. And Nintendo's been very sort of secretive about a lot of games that aren't Zelda. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a very small marketing window. So um, obviously the trailers and some of the gameplay made it look very like a very faithful remake. And, and I'm going to be here to say like it is a one to one remake uh in the sense that all the areas all the enemies all the sort of weapons you're going to find are brought straight forward from the original um but there's a lot of work done to make this game uh have a, it has a lot more quality of life mm-hmm. updates that you would expect from a modern a modern video game. So uh, the biggest one, uh, there's a couple of big ones, but like the one right off the bat is um, auto saving. And uh, previously you would have had to jump on a save pad and save. But in this one, every time you enter a new area, it saves. Uh, so you have an auto save, which is which is pretty good, because, again, if you lose in battle, it kicks you back to your save. So n- now you don't have to worry about having to redo areas. You can just you're fine. Like, again, 
makes it much easier on you if you've uh, forgot to heal or don't have enough items. You can that autosave comes in really handy. Um, there's a map system and fast travel. So again, not present in the original. The map was there, but uh, you can fast travel from the menu to just like pick any location you visited, and it'll load right into that intro to that area. And I can uh, tell you later on when you're having to go back and forth, that must be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there is like a post game, which again is like how un-Nintendo like to actually like add stuff to the end of a game and and have you, uh, and it's all part of the system where you can, like they, they, they said this in the marketing where like you'd be able to re-challenge bosses and that's present in this game. And I thought like, oh, it'd be like a menu system or some weird dreamland or something. But no, it's literally you travel back to these areas where the boss were and you have a conversation with them and, and oh. you fight them again. So very nice. Yeah. It like they've actually done they've done the work like they've they've fit it into the narrative in a way that uh, that, you know, is not like. They don't go into super detail about why this person's back and why you're fighting them again, but they have some fun with it. Um, one of the one of the bosses. So I, I I did finish the game, but one of the bosses that you refight right off the bat is Bellom, which is the uh, mm-hmm. the creepy eye dog. Yeah, yeah, very creepy eye dog. Which again, I remember as a kid being uh, super creepy because it would uh, eat your characters and then clone them, which was traumatizing for <laughs> nine year old Ryan. Like. What are you doing? Don't eat Kirby adjacent. What are you doing? Uh, which is Mallow. I always thought Mallow was like, like just Kirby basically when I was a kid, <laughs> but he, he's different. He's different. He no, he does not eat things. No, he doesn't. He's a cloud that punches very softly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, as uh, a cloud would do. Yeah, of course. It's very true to his character. Uh, although for the first half of the game, he thinks he's a frog, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, even with the start, you're like, how could you think you're a frog? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's, and like, this just goes to show, like, the writing um, is, again, like, it's a very faithful remake. And the writing, they, uh, I'm sure they they punch it up where they need to. And there's new dialogue where they need to. Like, the, the post-game stuff is all new. But my memory seems to think that this the dialogue is is very faithful to the original um like there's a moment where early on in the game there's you're in the mushroom kingdom and there's a a toad you're talking to and you ask well why didn't you stop the robber there's a a robber which is like this purple t-rex thing yeah croc croc or whatever yeah and uh and we asked the toad like or mallow asked the toad like well why didn't you stop him you're standing right here and and I think the toad says something like, uh, well, man, I didn't bring my bazooka today. Jeesh. <laughs> and uh, and that's like, I'm like, oh, man, is that new dialogue? I was like, no. So I played when I was playing on the Ember Day, I, I was at that point. I got that far and I was like, oh, man, it's just the same dialogue. And they brought it forward. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I applaud that. Like, honestly, it just goes to show like how good the writing was the first time and the, how good the localization was the first time around. Um Impressive, given the era. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it's not, um, it is one of those eras where across the board, video game writing was like, it was, it was mostly gameplay first, visuals, and mm-hmm. writing was sometimes, you know, the, not the most critical thing to the success of a video game. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that they, they, they treated in the same regard as, uh, visuals and, and gameplay. 
Um, but the writing in Super Mario RPG, I think, is fan- is fantastic, and it was fantastic in '96, and they've done a really great job uh, bringing it forward. Um, the other uh, big change here is that obviously you have the timed uh, button mashes for combat, um, which is present in the original. But in this one, when you hit a timed combat, the damage sort of like waves over to the other enemies, and you do. Uh, like a smaller portion of damage, but you do additional damage to the other enemies that you're fighting. Oh, splash damage. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes, uh, splash damage. And that is just like, it's a game changer. It makes the, you see all the enemies on screen, so there's no randomized battles, but like right. it makes those battles go a lot quicker. And um, even boss fights that have ads, like endless ads, that helps a lot. You can still focus on the boss, but deal with the ads at the same oh, time. That sounds very nice. I know yeah. I got to the point where I was just using Gino and using some of his AoE abilities. When I'd have a, a pack that was four or five, I was just like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm just going to use the flower points. And I would just annihilate them with that rather than have to deal with all of those individual mobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the AoE attacks that uh, a lot of these characters have, like the magic attacks brought straight forward, you know, like I remember the big snowman attack that Mallow has, Mm -hmm. um, the various beams that Gino shoots, (laughs) you know, Uh, it's all there, like they brought all that forward. Of course, it has the updated visuals, so they all look fantastic. Oh, it Um, looked beautiful when I watched your stream the other day. Yeah, they uh they did a really great job of bringing this game forward with, you know, top-notch uh visuals, controls, the controls. So the the original and I I'm, I'm sure you can speak to this uh very very well cuz you've played the whole thing, but the the controls in the original were tied to the four buttons on the SNES, the the X, Y, A, and B, and you were tied to that. Like if you were mm. trying to navigate the specials uh, menu, you had to keep using Y, which breaks my brain uh, <laughs> that they make you do that. <laughs> uh, but in the remake, you use the Y button to enter the specials menu, but then you you can progress through the menus as you normally would with A and B. Oh, to... that's very nice. I kept messing up with that a lot. <laughs> Yeah. So again, like modernization, like, of course, like that's the expectation that players would have these days. Um, and, and they do a great job. Uh, another thing they have are these super attacks. So uh, as soon as you unlock three characters in your party, you can do the you build up a gauge uh, and that gauge goes, you know, from zero to 100. And then once it's filled, um, you can do this super attack. I think it's called a triple attack. And it is different based on the characters you have in your party. Sometimes it'll do single enemy damage, AOE damage, healing. Um, will provide a shield depending again depending on the characters you have, and it's a, it's a it's a different animation for each of those moves, and they're quite quick. Um, you're going to see them a lot, of course, especially if you have like a specific party roster that you like. Um, but they're quick enough. I would probably sort of compare them to the smash ultimates in in super smash brothers um you're happy to watch it you're happy to see it again but like it's over before it's annoying that you're seeing it it's not knights of the round from final fantasy (laughs) 7 yeah no it is not gonna be like i gotta sit through this again um and it takes a while to unlock you know get 100 on your gauge It, it takes you know i'd say probably if it's not a boss fight three or four or five encounters to get it full mm-hmm. again. 
So, so it, it retains between battles? Yes. So it does so retain between nice. battles. Yeah. Like they don't punish you in that regard. So that's nice. And um, another thing that I like was very surprised to see is that when a character faints or it goes to zero HP, you can switch that character out on the fly in combat. Oh, wow. That's fabulous. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, honestly, um, I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how I beat Super Mario RPG in, on the Super NES, like given the fact that they didn't have that. Like you went into battle with your party, right? You didn't have the five characters. You had the three like that's is that my that's my understanding. Is that still is that's correct for the original? That right? is correct. Bananas. <laughs> the fact that I've played the remake and I'm like, this is a game changer. Like the fact that you can and you can swap in and out. So like you are limited to doing it once it it it, it um it is kind of like pokemon like where if a character faints uh or a pokemon faints you have the opportunity to swap them out on their turn uh-huh. um and and that and then the person you swap them with can do an action uh mm-hmm. but uh you can also swap back in a character that has fainted so so to revive them um in order uh-huh. to use an item you have to have them in the lineup so that's the reasoning why you would maybe bring okay. them back in are you able to switch during battle when somebody hasn't died just at will or just when somebody dies no you can do it uh whatever you want uh you can't switch mario mario is the sort mm-hmm. of the leader um that i guess shouldn't really surprise folks at home but um, you can swap out your other two characters on the fly, even if they are uh, still alive. Um, the reasoning for that might be like if you're fighting a boss, you might not want two healers out. You might want to, you know, switch Mallow back in to do. He has a new ability, which I I don't remember being there again. I'll ask you because you played it. But there's a, a move you can do. It's called Thought Peak, which will like look for weaknesses and give you the HP. That of a... is in it, but it's okay. called like psychosis or something it's got a name that does not explain it at all and so you're like what is this oh interesting so yeah so they have that in there and it's very handy uh another thing they've added for combat is um uh, the game will telegraph when an enemy is low on health all the time um, uh-huh outside of maybe bosses i don't remember seeing it on bosses but i i remember seeing it on all other enemies and it'll basically show like when you are targeting an enemy, it'll show like uh, a little red text next to it saying almost down or something. Uh huh. And again, that kind of like tells you like, okay, like I don't necessarily need to hit this character directly. I can just nail the timing on another character and then the splash damage will take this character out. That's like a really useful quality of life change. Yeah. Almost like a lot of the stuff I'm describing kind of sounds like they made it too easy um and i think like that's a honest reaction like that's totally fine and i I kind of agree like the game was easy i didn't really i didn't i I don't want to say i didn't struggle like oh man i'm so good at super rpg but like again all these changes they've implemented allow you to kind of just focus on the fun of the adventure and the characters and and the and the combat and you know like the difficulty if you're looking for it, I, I started the post game boss battles and uh, they are no joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are difficult and they're going to test your abilities and uh, no amount of quality of life stuff they've added in here is going to make those simple. Um, mm-hmm. 
each of those post game boss battles has like a like a unique element to it that makes them more difficult. Um, so, for example, Bellom's uh, boss battle is like he'll clone your characters two at a time. At least that's how many I saw. But as if, if there's a clone uh, on the map, uh, Bellom is shielded. So you oh. have to you have to take out the clones first. You can poison Balom, which is like one of the sort of hints that you're given to like be able to do damage to him through the shield. Uh-huh. But uh a lot of those post-game battles have like some sort of unique feature that that causes you to have to like engage in a mechanic in order to do uh the damage you need to do to take them take them out. Um, and it sounds like that could make it more likely to have to engage with the different characters as well. Cause I got to tell you, I really didn't use princess toadstool at all, <laughs> man. She is clutch in terms of like healing and stuff like her group heal and her focused heal and even her revive as well. And I, I could totally understand like when you can't swap characters in and out, mm-hmm. you're likely not to have her in there because Mallow is probably a more, yes. um, rounded out character in terms of yes. being more magic user which is why I, I was using him on bosses for that reason yeah exactly so i i like to have you know obviously mario uh, gino and um and and usually peach but again that's because i can swap in and out so like i mm-hmm. would often swap you know bowser back in to have like all damage you know gino mm-hmm. mario uh, bowser and um yeah it's just it's that feature alone just like it's such a game changer uh, and uh, again, makes, makes it, makes it a lot easier and, and more forgiving. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, this game, it's so much fun. Honestly, like if you are at home wondering, like, do I, do I want this remake? Uh, I think, I think you do. Like, it's a really, it's a really good remake. Like, especially if you play the original and you, you love the original. Um, they, they did it. They remade it. it it's, it's very good. Uh, as for folks who maybe didn't play the original, like that's a tougher sell. It's still a very fun game, but this is still a very faithful remake of a late game Super NES title. So you feel that in terms of like the structure of the world. It's a very small game. It's condensed. Um, I beat it in about 10 hours or so, uh, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like it's 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 fun in that range, but it is a full price title. This is an $80 canadian nintendo remake uh the chances of this thing going on sale anytime soon is probably next to nothing like you're probably waiting till late next year to get this thing Mm. uh on a sale although i did use the voucher for it so like that's probably your best bet if you're a nintendo switch subscriber is to use oh yeah and if you have a costco membership you buy a you you get the voucher using a gift card that you get from costco for 90 us instead of a hundred or whatever the Canadian equivalent would be. And that, so then you get the voucher for $90 and then the games end up being 45 instead of 50. Not bad. Yeah. I know Costco has, uh, has some deals here on gift cards too. It's weird. It's like you're buying money, but you're paying less. For the yes. Va- it's, yes. It's hard for my brain to wrap my mind around it, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> like when you think about like Nintendo is getting less money. For their money, they sell for money at Costco. I don't know. Yes, I don't. Know, I don't know how they all work that out behind the scenes, but I'm <laughs> happy to take advantage of it. Yeah, you know what? 
it makes the Costco membership worth it. So it does. Go. Well, and with Christmas coming up, there will probably be a sale on the gift cards for the PlayStation Network and eShop and various things too, reducing the cost even more. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And um, you know, in terms of like the look, the visuals and stuff, there's also they've added like the CG cutscenes. So um, anytime, uh, maybe not anytime, but like. Most of the time when the game, the original sort of cuts away from you controlling the character and you and the camera kind of pans and shows some things happening, uh, you'll see that sort of represented in a CG sort of um, like a like a cutscene, and it's fully rendered. These characters running around and interacting, and um, it's it's a really nice touch to add to the game. Uh, they've redone all the music. You can swap between the originals and the updated modern songs. And they're, they're all very faithful to the originals. Like when you swap back and forth, it's still got like the same sort of melody. It's just, uh, it's just modernized. So you can kind of like, if you play the original, you can kind of guess like what, what it would sound like. modernized. Mm -hmm. Probably Um, sounding more orchestrated rather than the MIDI bit, bit tune kind of stuff. Exactly. A hundred percent. Like again, like, this is probably, I mean, I'm super biased, but this is probably the best remake that I've played in terms of like remaking something, especially from this era. Like remaking a Super NES game is tough because you kind of have to like balance it of like, okay, how much do we leave it in that realm of design from the Super NES era? Because if they were to make Super Mario RPG 2, it would it would be very different, I think, what? like from this. It would be, it, it would probably bring forward a lot of the characters but like wouldn't have sort of like these smaller areas it'd probably be a little more open world like a lot of the it's like walking through a bunch of dioramas in the game Mm -hmm. um they're very small so but but again like it's that was the original so like i don't fault it for that but i just wonder like what would a sequel look like now that they've sort of brought it forward you know to the Mm -hmm. switch it'd be an interesting I don't think they'll do it. I mean, like it took them 20 years to acknowledge this thing exists. (laughs) So like, I'm not holding my breath. I'm glad we got the remake. Um, But yeah, like it's, it's fun. It's fun to think about, Uh, but they've done a lot here uh, to, to bring this game forward to the switch. And again, like if you're curious about super Mario RPG remake, um, I'd say, check it out. It's a, it's a great value when you, you know, you have a Costco membership and you, you can buy a voucher and, uh, you know, you start to chip away at that full price title, but um, I had a blast with it. Super fun. And uh, yeah, highly, highly recommended. I'm sure it's going to come up again in three or four weeks when we talk about game of the year. I I don't mm-hmm. think that will uh, surprise anybody. Um, But yeah, check it out. Uh, we have one more game here I wanted to touch on uh, before we get to the news and our game club chat. Uh, this is called Worldless, and it is a brand new uh, 2D platformer uh, with a sort of unique sort of turn-based combat system, uh, and it is a Metroidvania-style game, which I know everybody at home loves, Metroidvanias. Uh, this one is, it's it, like, the art style is very interesting, and it's very hard to describe, but like it's kind of got this like sort of abstract look to it, a lot of like base shapes, you know, like triangles, circles, um, and you're sort of navigating through this world. It's 2D, you're platforming, you're unlocking abilities that sort of allow you to progress through the map. 
Um, and uh, but the combat is also very unique. Like usually when you think of a Metroidvania, you think of like you know a run and gun like Metroid or a a, a slasher like Castlevania. But this one is turn based, so you engage in combat with an enemy. Sometimes by surprise, sometimes you won't see it coming, but other times it's like a little totem that you interact with uh-huh. because, uh, because you're you're wanting to fight these enemies. And then um, depending on how the battle goes, you'll unlock like a skill point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the combat is uh, is turn based in that you have like a you have an action bar and then through that action bar you have it's basically you're timed of how how much damage you can do based on what moves you're using. Um, you can attack standard you can uh use magic you can you eventually unlock a bow and arrow and it's all based on combos and abilities to kind of see how much damage you can do in a window uh some characters might have like they have like these little icons that will show show you like okay you can do additional damage with um um you know melee or or magic and that builds into this like stagger meter which comes into play of like unlocking a skill point so if you stagger the enemy enough, you can actually uh, initiate a mini game where you, um, for lack of a better term, like, you know, eat their soul or something or capture their soul or their essence. It's a very abstract game. Like the story is kind of like, I don't know, stars and light fighting each other. Like there's not really a story. It's sort of just portrayed. And then you can kind of like, I don't know, gather what's going on. It's not very straightforward. That's. The one thing I probably would knock it is that like it's it it doesn't have like that. I, when I look for a story, I look for like give me tell me what's going on. Like I need to know what are the motivations of these characters, what's what's happening. Um, but it is a very laid back game of like you know you're a character, you're running around, you're you're light, you're blue, they're orange. Mm-hmm. You know it's all good, man. <laughs> So is it more pixel art or is it more modern looking stuff? It it is it is more modern. Like um it is a uh, so it's more modern, it's got it's more light based. So you've got a lot of like bright uh bright colors, like very uh you know, the the environments are um you know what it kind of reminds me of? It's like kind of a more simplistic Ori in the blind forest. Like it's not as a detailed environment, but they've uh-huh. got a lot of like They've got a lot of like abstract sort of, um, uh, you know, backgrounds. So like there's like cave systems and it looks like a cave, but it's not as detailed, you know, like mm-hmm. it's still a modern look, but um, it's more it's more simplistic depending on your environment. But you can tell like, OK, this is a this is a world that's like more um, more of like a cavern system. You know, this one's more water world uh, stuff like that. But it doesn't have very detailed uh environments it's more like a uh it's more like i said it's more abstract it's more like and and what is it they call it? it's a mind bending interpretive narrative mm. whatever whatever that means like you're <laughs> kind of it, it it is what you get what you what you, i i think what it is, is like you get what you uh what you sort of try to gleam yourself as you're going through like it's uh-huh. fun um, but the narrative isn't as like a strong a, a presence as I would as I would normally look for in a video game, mm-hmm. you know. But the combat is um, is a lot of fun. Like it's it's very puzzle based. Like you're trying to basically whittle the enemies down, but build up their stagger beater so you can capture that skill point. Uh huh. Um, and sometimes you can defeat an enemy, which will allow you to progress. But you kind of want that skill point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you can retry those those uh, those combats if if you want to get the skill point. But um, so, do any combats ha- have skill points, or is it just the ones with the totems? Uh they they like it really depends. So I, I'm trying to remember. Like I think most of them all do, um, except for maybe I think I did a couple boss fights where there wasn't one. But I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, yeah, you're always unlocking something. Okay. Um, and if you're capturing their essence, you're getting a skill point. And then sometimes when you defeat an enemy, you'll walk a little bit to the right and you'll find like a new mechanic. Like mm-hmm. most of the mechanics are traversal based. So for example, early on, you unlock the ability to do like a sort of a little jet, a quick jet across the, I don't know what you'd call it, but oh, a dash, of course. Like why am I, why am I <laughs> lost for words there? A dash. Um, and that allows you to sort of traverse across, you know, bigger chasms and do longer jumps uh-huh. and stuff. But uh it is uh it, it works really well on Steam Deck. I've been playing it uh, docked on Steam Deck, so on the big TV there and mm-hmm. runs amazing. And again, like it, it it's a very bright game, so like it looks great on a big screen. Uh runs mm-hmm. really well on the Steam Deck. And I'm I'm having a good time with it. Like and it's very open. Like it's a very exploration or exploration game. Like the game will say like you know, it'll guide you. It'll say, oh, you need to go here next. And you can go there. You can explore. You can unlock, you know, the skill points that are sort of present. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you can kind of go at your own pace if you want to. Uh, and the exploration portion of it is um, there is a map. But again, it's very, it's very rudimentary. And then, like, the map is, like, just lines. And they're lines sort of... Uh, sort of spreading out from a centerpiece. And there's like, I think six or probably six portals you can go through uh, from the main world, but the portals aren't on, you have to unlock them. So like you have like one sort of branching line that is the first world. And you can kind of like take shortcuts between the worlds, which allows Uh you to unlock the portals to go to them from, uh, from the main sort of hub world. So like, it's not, like when you call it a Metroidvania, like you're not like getting the red missile to unlock the red doors. You're sort of just kind of like flowing between the worlds through this like really abstract line system of maps. So it's like kind of like you got to have to like it tells you exactly where you are on that line. Uh-huh. But like it's not representative of the landscape. You know, it might be a line that's got like a 45 degree incline that kind of tells you that you have to go up and to the right a bit to progress to the next area. Uh-huh. But like, it might not be as straightforward as that. Like you might have to find different platforms, find and unlock um, some elevators or some jet streams. So it rewards exploration and gives you just enough tools to get there. Huh. So it's very satisfying. Do the skill points, are those uh, buffing up, your in combat abilities or are they buffing up the traversal abilities or what are they doing? They are, uh, it's all combat. Um, from what I've been able to see, uh, you're unlocking, you know, new combos, uh, whole new, um, magic systems. Uh, mm-hmm. and the skill points are sort of based on whether you're defeating a blue or orange enemy and, um, each, sort of skill tree which also borrows from the map system is just a bunch of lines with uh <laughs> with sort of dots mm-hmm. um not as big a deal in a combat system because it that's all you need you really just right. need a couple of lines um and uh, yeah you're unlocking new abilities and and new um 
There's a shielding system in combat. So like, again, I talked a lot about the attack, but in defense mode, you're having to sort of pay attention to the enemy because the enemy will telegraph whether it's going to do a melee or a magic attack or sometimes like a like a super move. And depending on that telegraph, you have to hit the hit or hold the right button to um, shield yourself. So it's a very action turn based combat. You're always having to pay it. You can't set down the controller. It's like, all right, let's let's let this guy run through the animations. Like, no, you got to you got to be paying attention. Um, It's not one of those turn based games that uh, you can kind of just let the CPU take its turn. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it. Like I'm I don't know how far I am. I feel like I've progressed uh, quite a bit. It's it's again hard to tell what's going on like what Mm -hmm. what is the i think the goal is to like is just like i don't know let's mess some stuff up like let's (laughs) let's let's upend the table like i don't know it's i think that's what's happening like feels like that's what's happening there's a guy i keep talking to that's like not very happy with what i'm doing but he's not (laughs) he's just kind of standing there and being like saying new things that are very ominous and i'm just like "I, i don't know what you want man like if you don't want to, if you if you're not enjoying this conversation, like we don't need to talk. I can just go back into the world. Like it's 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 very um, it's very ominous. Like it's hard to say what's going on, but like it, the story isn't. I think the big draw here. I think the draw here is like when we talked about disguise. Like what's the draw? Is it the story? Is it the gameplay? I think for Worldless, it is the gameplay. It is mm-hmm. the Metroidvania exploration, you know, the rewarding of exploration and finding new mechanics to platform. The combat, it can be difficult at times. Like I've struggled with the combat a little bit. Um mm-hmm. mo- mostly because like it kind of reminds me of a fighting game, you know, like it's a turn-based fighting game and I'm terrible at that. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe I get from the turn-based combat. Like it's not like your typical turn-based RPG. It it is very mm-hmm. much like a like a fighting game. You have to pay attention to the characters' uh, weaknesses and and pay attention to their. Man, I'm also terrible at parrying and and shielding. So like that's not great here. Like I take a lot of damage. <laughs> that should surprise nobody who's watched me play Elden Ring. Uh, but uh, but it is fun. I really love the Metroidvania stuff and the platforming. It reminds me uh-huh. of Ori in the Blind Forest. So like, well, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And again, runs great on Steam Deck. It's verified, uh, and I'm playing uh, with an Xbox controller docked, and it's a great time. So well, and it sounds like with all the colors, if somebody has picked up one of those new OLED Steam Decks, playing it handheld might be fab- fabulous. Yes, honestly, like I think. I think I've I've avoided picking up any sort of OLED screen because I don't want it to ruin just uh-huh. the general uh, cost effectiveness of an LCD screen. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, I imagine if I were to pick up like a Switch OLED or and I know someone's going to say, well, your phone's probably like, oh, I don't know if the phone's not like, the same looking at your phone, though. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Like so. But I know if I were to pick up like a Steam Deck OLED or a Switch OLED, I'd be like, ah, crap. You know, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I think if folks have that new um, Switch o, or the Switch uh, Steam Deck OLED, uh, I believe Worldless is also on the Switch. I think it launched across all platforms. Um, I should have had that in front of me, but uh, I am playing on Steam. And uh, let's see. Oh, it's on everything. It's on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation Four, PlayStation Five, Xbox uh, Series X, S, and One. 
So uh, it just launched uh, today. So there you go. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let us uh, take that opportunity to head into the news. But before that, I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash thegamersin. Uh, thank you so much for all the support that you provide over the course of the year. It helps us buy games, pay for hosting, and uh, just generally keep the show a running. So uh, we appreciate all the support there. Uh, we're also doing Extra Life, bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life 2023. Uh, if you caught my Super Mario RPG stream that I did uh, on Friday, um, we had a there was a brief moment where uh, I was talking with the Toad voice um, for donations, and uh, I think we all agreed like this that it needed to stop. But we, <laughs> we got some great I donations. Think I missed that part. <laughs> yeah, it was right at the tail, right at the beginning, and I think everyone was like, "No, we made a huge mistake." We did raise some money, so like it all goes to a great cause, and uh, and I can still speak. So you know, it, it must not have been that bad for uh, <laughs> for for my uh, my voice. But um, I promised we would talk about uh, TGI Game Club, and this has kind of been marked out in the notes for a couple of uh, months because it's been a while, and we're obviously in a busy season with fall and extra life and all these video games coming out. It's just been such a big year with all of that, all the the releases. Yes, and it can be very tough to fit in like another game, you know, even though we're playing like three to four hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so Game Club has, has kind of seen a bit of a chatter, and uh, I just kind of wanted to give everybody who listens to the show and may not be in the Discord kind of an idea of like what this is. And Game Club is essentially like a weekly um, a weekly video game session where you play, uh, you have someone who's probably played the game before, sort of map out what a week's uh, worth of game play would be, whether it's three to four hours. And then you play that. And then a discussion opens up in the game club forum where you, well, discuss that chunk of gameplay. And uh, there's been some rumblings, Firebird, of like what could be next. Uh, and it's looking like post-Christmas for sure. So the new year is what we're aiming for. Uh, but some remakes have kind of like been floated um, how do you feel about playing The Last of Us Part 1? I think it sounds like a great idea. It's been nice to use Game Club and suggest games and vote for games that I've been meaning to get to and haven't yet. And that would be one on my list. Yeah. And I know it's one um, It's one that myself included, like a lot of folks have played once and been like, I'm good. That was the one. And there have been sort of some so specifically a part one there was a remake that came out uh that sort of brought a lot of the improvements from part two into part one but there's like really no changes to the story so like from a game club perspective like you could jump in on ps3 you could jump in on ps4 you could jump in on ps5 or pc and have the, a similar conversation with some mm. some nuance there in terms of like you know systems and such but um it's it's a very accessible game depending on how you want to engage with the with mm-hmm. the game. So that one's come up. Uh, I think Final Fantasy VII remake got sort of thrown out there just in terms of like Rebirth coming out in February. Mm-hmm. I I feel like that's a long game. Like it might be it might yeah, be sort of on the tail I, end. It seems like I've heard it's thirty hours, which seems a little longer than we usually go for with the Game Club games. Yeah, because I know, um, I, th- I feel like, uh, what was it? Uh, Jim is, is going to hate me for this, but uh, it's like 13 Sentinels. I, I got mm-hmm. there. 
that was a bit of a longer one. Um, it worked out in the end. And, and I think that one was like a, a very good example of like, I've been meaning to play this. I probably wouldn't have gotten through it if it weren't for game club, not because of the game, but more just because it was a little longer and just required. It required a lot of it. It required more attention than I, that I usually give to, um, to video games. As people mm. probably know, I jump around a lot. Um, that like Final Fantasy remake would be a good one. Uh, I think, uh, what was the other one? It was, am I missing any that have kind of popped up in there? I think those are the two that sort of come to mind. The ones that have been brought up recently. Yeah. So, uh, Either way, we're looking to kickstart Game Club again uh, in 2024, uh, get it going again. And uh, there's been some suggestions to um, sort of look at The Last of Us Part 1, maybe Final Fantasy uh, VII Remake. Uh, But uh, yeah, jump into the Discord, you know, have some discussions. We obviously have a lot of time. Well, not a lot of time. We have some time before the new year to determine what we want to play. But uh, yeah, Game Club will return in 2024. Now, let's get into the news. So you uh, threw this one in here. Heroes of the Storm keeps getting patched. And uh, people are... uh, What's going on there? Well, it just got another patch with apparently changes to every hero, which, of course, once again brings up the question, why now? They... they supposedly stopped development in 2022. Why do they keep doing patches? People are hoping maybe that means there will be more for heroes. Yeah. I mean, like, I know, uh, not to bring up other podcasts, but I know Core <laughs> is like, they're like, oh, what if, I know their BuzzCon predictions were like, what if we get another hero, you know? And I, I um, like, I know, I know Blizzard likes to keep their franchises uh, or their games running, uh, which requires patches on occasion. Mm. However, like this is three in the last month, which is like more than what we're, what I feel like we would see for a game that's been put on ice. It doesn't just seem like maintenance patches, especially with extensive changes to heroes. Yeah. Now there is still like a monetization thing in there. So like, maybe that's why they try to keep, keep it more like I, I don't remember there being patched like you, as you said it and they ended development in 2022 to put it on ice. Um, I don't remember there being updates <laughs> until recently. So like, right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe something's coming. It makes you wonder the, given the recent uh, movement of Battle.net games onto steam, that one seems like a real possibility to me. I don't see real development going back to the game i have a really hard time seeing that they just were not satisfied with the the performance of it of course they took way 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 too long to get it out and league had taken that market but i could see it going to steam yeah no i agree i think uh i think a steam release would be very good you know give it some because you know what there are there's there's a couple camps um, you have folks that refuse to use another launcher outside of Steam, like just, mm. and and the, usually those folks are folks that didn't play WoW because like, I think WoW was the exception where people were like, no, no, I'll do it for WoW. But um, you're gonna have those folks that'll play it because it's on Steam, and then you are gonna have other folks who just never, never even heard of it, and you're gonna have right. that initial right. rediscovery through Steam. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of 
Well, I mean, in terms of keeping like the same community, like Overwatch 2 does it just fine. So mm-hmm. um, you're still logging in with a Battle.net account and everything. So there's no change there. Uh, but yeah, I, I um, fingers crossed. I mean, one new hero, would it hurt? Absolutely. If they did new, new stuff, that would be great for the heroes fans. Yeah, like put Lilith in there. Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, make it. That's what it is. I mean, look. Put in Lorath and have that voice actor come and do a lot more lines. Yes, please. I mean, I didn't play Diablo 4. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, uh, <laughs> And someone was saying, I, I know they were talking about Encore. I guess Final Fantasy 16 has him in yes, it as well. Yes, and see, I, that's why I'm excited about that voice actor is from his <laughs> character Sid in that. Um, yeah, I know I put Final Fantasy 16 on the Christmas list and it's on sale. So you never know. Maybe 2024 we'll have... Uh, Ryan talking about Final Fantasy 16 and he'll be a big uh, Sid fan. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about The Last of Us Part 1, but uh, this sparked a bit of a conversation in the Discord. The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered, coming to PS5 on January 19th, 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously this is a game that released uh, late stages of PS4 uh, in 2020, again, like six months before the PS5. Mm-hmm. It it received a PS5 performance patch, which means that the original part two is playable on your PS5. Um, so this is a short window. This is basically like a three year window for a remaster to have it like exclusive. This remaster exclusive to the PS5. And mm-hmm. um, did they say it was coming to Steam too? Right? Or is that sort of just the for thought? If that- I saw anything about that. I yeah, I know you're right. I think it's just uh, people assuming that that this will likely be the version that makes it to steam. I would think so. But then given that it's a, you know, a PlayStation exclusive, it'll be a ways off since they, yeah, they take their time with bringing those over. Yeah. Um, so this is, so, and it isn't just the last of us part two. They've, uh, they've added to it. They've, you know, there's a couple of things like there's like a guitar free mode, but I think the biggest thing that they've added is this no return, roguelike survival mode so the original last of us had like an all-time online multiplayer but it seems like the the they've spun that out for the part two and who knows if we'll ever see the multiplayer but this is like an additional mode where you are fighting enemies sort of in an arena style setup uh and it's like a roguelike so like they say you'll you know you'll have you'll have a uh power-ups sort of follow you along as you progress and Mm. they'll have daily runs you can do with global leaderboards so like it's an additional mode that's exclusive to this remaster Mm -hmm. um which kind of gives it like an additional piece of gameplay to sort of encourage folks to uh either purchase the game or um in the case that i think is very generous purchase an upgrade for 10 bucks yes yes there were also lost levels with some kind of commentary attached as well as another additional feature with this. Yeah, I love that idea. Like I I think my favorite part of like some of the work Valve was doing uh before they stopped making video games. Um which I know is unfair. They they still make video games, but they mostly sell them these days. Um they used to do the uh commentary. You could like run through the levels and instead of playing them you'd you'd have these little like bubbles you can interact with and it would play uh commentary so like i love that i love peeking behind the scenes and like the fact that they're putting in 
uh, I think they said three or four unfinished levels that have sort of been brought to the stage where you can play them. Um, I, I, I think that's great. And, you know, in terms of commentary, like I remember listening to the accompanying podcast to the HBO series, which also featured uh, Neil Druckmann, who is the sort of the guy behind part two. Uh-huh. Uh, so he, he explains stuff really well. And like, if he is featured in that commentary alongside other developers like that, that developer commentary is going to be pretty cool and give you like a peek behind the scenes of like what it's like, uh, to play these levels and then find out maybe why they were cut. Like, you know, whether I highly doubt it's for time, it's probably just because of the flow of the game. Right. Um, so like, that's a really cool feature. Uh, but yeah, like it's a, it's a $10 upgrade if you own it on PS4. Um, this does not remove your ability to play the PS4 version on your PS5. I think it's a it's a fair deal. Like it gives them an opportunity to sell part two at eighty dollars on the PS5, right. but it also doesn't stop you from going out and buying the PS4 version and then just still upgrading for ten bucks. Yeah, I would say the series seems to have a real history of doing you know remasters and remakes at a time that seems way too soon. Like for example, the PS4 version came out like something like a year after the initial release on the PS3, which of course there wasn't the backwards compatibility there, but that just seems really soon. And then of course we've just had the, the remake. And so it seems like a real uh, habit with the series at this point, but this one seems better in that we have the additional content. So it's not just a, you know, polishing up the visuals, you're getting something more for it. And where they're also making it such a generous ability to upgrade from the PS4 version, that yeah. seems like a better deal than they did with the the remake of one. Yeah. And they like they didn't pull a Nintendo where they will re-release a game at full price, you know, eighty dollars. Mm-hmm. And you know, we saw that a lot between the Wii U and the Switch, but not a lot of people had a Wii U. We established that you have one and I have one, so there's two right there. <laughs> so we apparently have about, you know, half the world's population <laughs> of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, anyone who has a Wii U, just let me know in Discord. I expect people to, you know, three or four of you to to chime in. But um, yeah, like I, I think that, um, you know, Sony's obviously taken a lot of heat for how they've handled cross-generation uh, games in terms of like the free upgrade, the $10 paid upgrade. And I I think there's examples of like games where the only like the main difference is that it's it's a similar game, but it looks uh it looks better mm-hmm. on the PS5. And I think charging $10 for that is basically just bridging the gap between, you know, the previous generation where games cost um 60 and the new generation where games cost 70 and that i never really liked you know it just feels greedy especially because in many cases the visual difference doesn't seem that huge when we played god of war 2018 for game club i did play it on the ps5 and so there was some upgrade to it but it wasn't you know gigantic and it looked great and then going on to ragnarok ragnarok looked better but it wasn't it wasn't like this massive difference. So it feels greedy for to see that kind of, you know, upgrade when it's not like necessarily a huge difference. Yeah. I always appreciate the way Xbox has done it where they, it's just, you're buying the game 
you know, you're buying yeah. the Xbox version and it's going to run the, the proper code depending on your platform. I, I think that's the right consumer approach. Uh, yes. And I, you know, I, I get like, but then I think Sony has sort of taken that approach and sort of obviously they, they aren't doing cross-generation games anymore. They've they've ended that practice and now they have exclusive PS5 experiences that are $70 US. So, but they've kind of taken that sort of upgrade idea and then I think usefully here applied it in the right way that is consumer friendly yes. to be like, okay, like, you know, we could have just said, give us $80 for this. Uh, I keep jumping back and forth between Canadian US prices. So everyone at home is depending on their locales, like what's happening? It's either <laughs> on sale or it's too expensive. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll stick with US. So like it's $70, but in this case, like 10 bucks. And they did it with, um, they did it with uh, the Uncharted um, collection that they released a few years ago where it was, uh, I believe, $15 uh or probably just 10 us to to upgrade uh your existing copy but uh there was no additional stuff added there right. so that was that wasn't as great but i think in this specific instance like this is a really smart approach and uh you know you might get a few people that don't buy the ps4 version and just give you the 80 bucks for right sorry, right you know, so we'll we'll see um We'll see how this goes. I, I think it was supposed to be announced at the Game Awards and obviously got leaked a bunch and mm -hmm. then they fast tracked the announcement. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. My biggest thing is it'll be interesting to see what those lost levels sort of. Yes. Yeah. That's my, you know, that's where my brain's at. Like, I'm curious about that, especially. And then uh, I might I might see whether it's worth the $10 upgrade. And you can port your saves, too. So that's the other thing, too, is that your your saves can be brought forward. So um that's a neat feature as well. So, uh, yeah, if you're a Last of Us fan, you can now own um, what it was the joke. It's like there's there's like six games, but there's only two <laughs> there's only two parts <laughs> or five. There's five editions, uh, but there's only two games plus an HBO series. So collect them all. Uh, and our final story here is going to be about Embracer, which is continuing to fall apart at the seams due to the fact that uh, they lost out on that uh, $2 billion deal or something. Yes. And they, so they, they say they've confirmed 900 staff laid off and they, but they warn there's more to come. That's a little alarming. That's very it alarming. Is. It is, especially given how many studios they gobbled up in such a short time. Yeah. And we've already seen, you know, entire studios disbanded under their aegis and games canceled. I think that what was it? At least 15 games have been canceled behind the scenes. Yep. Yeah, they they mentioned 15 projects sort of shuttered. Um they are a big enough company that like the 900 is only 5% of their workforce, but still like 900 is a lot with more to come. Like right. they've they shut down Volition, uh, which is the Saints Row folks. 10% um, of Crystal Dynamics is apparently gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're saying they might sell Gearbox off. Like, again, like probably one of their their in-house studios that would probably, you know, fetch a, a good amount of money if they are looking at sales. But um, it is interesting because, like, if you if folks remember Embracer, like, kind of came out of the the graveyard of THQ, like they bought up a, a lot of THQ back when it closed down. 
and and honestly took over their name too. They were called, I think, THQ Nordic for a while before they switched over to Embracer Group. But really their process has been to buy whole studios, pick up, you know, going out of business sale type franchises, like picking up IPs and then um they would release uh, remasters to kind of like drum up interest. And a great example is they released the Darksiders one and two uh, re-releases, and then they made uh, Darksiders three. So like they've done some good there in terms of like bringing back older titles, but, uh, and then bringing out a sequel, they've done that. um, They're doing that with Titan quest two, which, uh, which is supposed to be out this year. So like they've done some good, but like, I think their critical mistake here is like, buying a bunch of companies with imaginary money. And then when the imaginary money goes away, it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> and buying up companies that aren't necessarily doing well, because there might be reasons for that. Now, we all make jokes about Square Enix and their doesn't meet expectations. But the fact that, I, you know, here we have some of those Western studios that they divested that are now losing staff, it suggests that perhaps their claim that they weren't making money is correct. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't help Square Enix is, uh, um, sorry, it doesn't help Crystal Dynamics that they haven't released a game uh, since, uh, uh, since they've been let go from Square Enix, right? Like, you know, they're working on Tomb Raider with Amazon backing, but uh, we haven't seen that yet. So they're not bringing in money, you know, right now. And, and yeah, like, you know, we talk about Western, like other studios that are struggling. Like, I don't think Gearbox is necessarily like, I don't think Borderlands 3 and the Tiny Tina's Wonderland was like, it was received well, but I don't think it did as well as like Borderlands 2 did, like in, in terms of expectations, you know. Well, yeah, none of their stuff has done as well as Borderlands 2. It's been tough. I mean, it's been tough for a lot of, uh, you know, studios. And I mean, they have some winners like I knew um, uh, Remnant 2 is a big one. I see a lot out there. Uh, They finally released uh, Dead Island 2, which, uh, from what I understand from this article, was a success. Um, So they have some wins. But like, again, like when you have such a large portfolio, you kind of need more than a couple. Right, right. And when you were expecting to get $2 billion and then suddenly you don't have it, because some of them might very well do well if they have time, but you need that money to get that time. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, in in related news to this, there was talk that the KOTOR remake uh, was was not in active development, but then, you know, and that was going to be basically like, you know, our... um, uh, our, our way to end our, our show on a big disappointing fact. But then <laughs> I, I just saw a tweet that literally went out an hour ago that Jason Schreier is saying that they're <laughs> look, I don't know if this may, is going to make anyone happy, but like they're saying they've spoke with two people at Saber Interactive that said they're working on it. So like they got a couple of people working on it as confirmed by Jason Schreier. Okay. What that um, actually means for it actually coming out anytime soon is not necessarily great though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you know, uh, maybe by twenty thirty five we'll have uh, we'll have the remake. Uh, it'll be on the PS seven, and we'll be all we'll be all set. But like that one, that it, we, when we talk about studios not 
living up to their potential. Like uh, that was where uh, Aspire was working on it, which was more of like a port studio. They work on a lot of like Mac ports and um, uh, remasters of older games. Were they the ones that brought out the Switch port? Yes. Yeah, okay. they did. The, I think so. I know they did. Um, they did the uh, Switch port of the the episode one racing. Mm-hmm. So, they, so they do a lot of those ports, a lot of those remasters. Uh, and they were supposed to be working on this one, um, but they got. It sounds like they've been took on, uh, taken off the project in terms of, and they have Saber Interactive working on it, which are the folks behind um, the World War Z video game that just came out. I think that's my the most recent example I have uh, mm-hmm. for those. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, better than not working on it at all. It sounds like, and of course, it's a game that was just an. It was announced, and I want to say just announced. It's been years, but. It yeah. was announced and like said basically then like, stay went tuned. dead. Yeah. And then we didn't hear anything. Yeah. And if Dead Island 2 can come out after like a similar thing where there's a CG trailer and then you hear nothing about it for seven years, maybe I think Kotor is possible. Like Kotor is like you're gonna move money around for that one, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause if you do it right. That'll sell a lot and actually even if you don't do it right a bunch of people will probably buy it before everybody knows anyway as long as it's not completely broken i think you're fine you know like Mm -hmm. i think i had the same sort of thoughts about super Mario rpg because it's like it's a remake of a beloved game i love the original so like as long as i don't want it to be a bad remake but like as long as it's not like a terribly broken game i was gonna i was gonna play it right i was uh so, I mean, you know, I think Embracer, and they've said the, this themselves, and I, I I, kind of brush it off as, like, CEO speak of, like, we fired all these great people, but we'll, re- we'll reemerge a stronger company. And it's like, well, it's still, it, it still very much sucks that your mistakes have, have caused these people to lose their yes, jobs. Yes, indeed, so, especially at this time of year. Yeah, 100%. Like, why? I mean, I know it's been a constant thing across the year, but it feels like it has been something... That's been occurring um, in the second half of this year, like more mm-hmm. so. Seems like there there was a big rush at like the start of the year, like in January. There was like fa- against across tech, you know, Microsoft and Facebook and Google and all that. But then it's been a lot of game companies lately. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll continue to look at what Embracer is doing, and and we'll we'll you know it's it's um. It's kind of funny because like you, you sometimes don't even realize you're playing their games like because they are this they are literally this group. They're not like Square Enix where it's a publisher that makes games like they're just it sometimes feel like it's just this like money group, you know, like a like a publisher like, you know, back in the days where Blizzard uh, was under like Vienna or something like. Yeah, a, uh, via. No, I, it was started with a V. Yeah. I don't remember what it was though now. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it, it felt like it was. um like they were just the money folks. They weren't like a publisher that was actually knew how to do video games, which is why, you know, Activision ended up buying themselves out to become Activision Blizzard. It's interesting. I mean, the industry, it's been said a lot, but like, you know, a great year for video games, like a terrible year to be making those video. Yes. Games. Yes. And uh, hopefully, you know, I think that uh, I think you're going to see more unionization. You're going to definitely see it at Blizzard now that they're owned by mm-hmm. Microsoft. Yes. Um, a lot of that 
sort of uh, organizational work has been done. It's just a matter of having an organization uh, or uh, having leadership that is willing to, you know, negotiate and actually right. put, put the union into place, right? And Microsoft has said that they are neutral and they're not going to try to block it, which is what Activision Blizzard was actively doing before. Yeah, it's bananas. I I mean, I understand why they do it because, you know, corporate profit and shareholders and all that. And, you know, everyone can't be happy for a company to be successful for some reason. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's a shitty, shitty thing, especially when you have a lot of folks who really do enjoy the byproduct of of right. uh, of the video games and stuff so um but yeah we'll uh we'll keep an eye on embracer obviously um hopefully they're able to sort something out to uh you know not do further layoffs and maybe hire some of these folks back with projects and stuff but uh yeah kotor remake still maybe possibly happening at least two people you know keep <laughs> the license active so there you go uh, if you want to join in the conversation, I'm sure there will be some folks uh, talking about a lot of the stuff we've talked about. Bit.ly slash TGI Discord. It's a great spot to jump in, uh, have various conversations across our various channels. And uh, before we do leave, I did want to give Firebird here an opportunity to let everyone know where they can uh, find you on the internet. Well, I don't really do social media, but you can find me on the Discord with everybody else. Yeah, that's smart. Not doing social media. That's where it's at. <laughs> As somebody who works in social media, that's smart, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, social media is uh, is a thing. But hey, it's how we found out that uh, KOTOR is still a thing. So maybe it's not all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's uh, you got to have a lot of good filters in there for it to be, yes. to be useful. And I not get to arguments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just don't engage. Don't engage with the arguments. But uh, Discord is a great spot. We have a lot of fun there. And it's a great community. Um, and it is a great extension of the podcast. So check it out, bit.ly slash TGI Discord. And that's going to do it for our episode. Uh, Firebird, thank you so much for being on the show and and uh, bringing some new games onto the show. I always love uh, having guests on to basically pick their brains on franchises that like we've never talked. I'm Well, I shouldn't say never. I don't want to upset anyone if we have talked about it before, but I'm pretty sure we've never talked about Disgaea. So. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and we'll definitely catch you uh, in the Discord. And you can find all of our episodes at gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, not Firebird, but you can follow uh, Jocelyn at Joss Plays, myself at R. Murphy, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thank you so much for staying at The Gamers Inn. Tune in next week. Thank you, Firebird, and uh, go play some Disgaea. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.